0: As the regular season winds down and we look ahead to conference championships, bowl games, and the college football playoff, CFB Winning Edge is hard at work preparing for 2022. With the generous support of our Patreon members, we are able to keep this show ad-free, fund off-season improvements and annual updates, as well as new and special projects. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more about our 2022 plans and pledge as little as $5 per month to help us grow and improve in 2022 and beyond.
1: Welcome back everyone at CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen at CFB Winning Edge on the Twitter machine, Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C-H-E. Nick, how you doing, man?
0: Doing okay. Doing okay, all things considered. It's it's been uh we were just talking right before we hit record that uh I'm I'm looking forward to the regular season coming to a close mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. Uh, not that I don't love, uh, you know, watching football, love what we do, talking about all the games, but the, sort of the daily and weekly grind is, has uh, gotten a little, uh, just a little heavy recently. But yeah. fortunately, you know, last week was really, really exciting. Ton of great games. Uh, obviously some outcomes that not everyone on this show might yeah. have loved, but mm-hmm. uh uh, a lot of overtime games, several ranked teams really tested. Uh, there were some upsets, uh, you know, uh, among highly ranked teams. So uh, coaching changes, all that kind of good stuff. So there's there's definitely enough going on to keep everybody interested. And and it is uh, a, a great time to be a college football fan. Um, but it's also, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to conference championships and bowl games, that kind of thing, too.
1: Yeah, I, I, I understand, you know, the football season is an absolute grind uh, when you work as much as we do. And and Xavier, uh, you know, I told someone earlier this week, I'm like, boy, the vibe's going to be weird on the CFP winning edge show because my team just lost to Kansas and Xavier's team just beat Coastal. So, you know, he's going to be happy and everyone knows where I'm at. So uh, obviously you had a pretty solid weekend, right?
2: Yeah, um, <clears throat> I have to agree with Nick about the workload. I got that message from Sprint. From where it was like, hey, you've used almost all of your gigs and it's midway through November. And that's probably <laughs> genuinely just from watching college football on my phone and trying to have as many screens as possible on college football on a Saturday. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was an amazing weekend. Uh, you know, obviously the coastal situation, uh, I can guarantee you. From all the group chats that I'm a part of, that about 30% of Georgia State fans thought we had even a sliver to stay in that ballgame. Not win, just stay in it and make it competitive. So that was obviously a a huge one. And and to get it on a defensive stop, I think, uh, was also just that much more beautiful. Because as we have been well documented, Georgia State's defense hasn't been the greatest. Uh, And then I got that compiled with Samford. Sticking with Florida for about Whoa. three and a half quarters. Now, once again, I, I've said this multiple times on the podcast. I have a lot of friends who are Florida fans, and we're just sitting in the Xbox mm-hmm. in the Xbox party chat, and they're losing their minds. I mean, losing their minds. And, and so, you know, coming you give into,
1: up thirty-five in the first half to to Stanford. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like giving up thirty-five to Kansas by halftime, right? It's exact. almost the same
2: deal yeah. there. So, I, I still remember the moment that I think my Florida fan maybe lost maybe lost a life or lost a little bit off of his life, it was off of that uh, kickoff return. I genuinely heard him, like, give me this groan through the mic that was just like, yeah, what is happening? And I was like, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. he just went from a life expectancy of 85 to 83. Yep, yeah, we got it. All right, cool. But, no, it was it was a really fun weekend. And I think that, yeah, I'm with Nick on this one. Let's get to the championship weekends because at this point, we're, whew, man, we're, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, man. I mean, well, I, w- a- I
0: will say nobody's going to feel sorry for us. For, oh no! For oh, no, <laughs> no! Talking no, about no, college yeah, football, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I get to work on college football all day. I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, even in the like sports world, like it's not right. baseball. Baseball yeah. is every single day. Yeah, uh, that's uh, job. <laughs> so you know uh, we are fortunate. We only have to prepare for like 15 big you know days per year or, or whatever but it's just i think everybody towards the end of the year and yeah uh, you
1: know yeah i mean you're absolutely right it's everyone at the end of the year and also look we get to sit here and talk about football that's our job so it's still fun it's just all it's just the football season is uh a lot of work for us so uh you know we everybody gets that you know when when you're uh the the months uh add up on your job and you wanna take a little break, that that's all. That's all it is. And we'll all get right. a break real soon. So and I'm <laughs> it looks like I'm gonna get a break from a bowl game for Texas this year too. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that five works. And seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean five five and seven would be nice at this point. So uh, you know, uh we'll see. But let's talk about what happened last week, Nick. How did the numbers look? Uh how how did we uh how do we end out last week?
0: So all considered, it it was a it was a decent week. I mean, the against the spread numbers have been just hovering just below fifty percent. Seems like uh, for each of the last few weeks, we've talked plenty about how some of that is is uh, a little bit luck based, just because our margins have been so thin. I mean, it's it's uh, difficult. It's been difficult to see an edge, but it's also been difficult for us to you know get blown out. In recent weeks, basically, because we're so in line with the uh, Vegas Insider consensus point spread, which is what we grade ourselves against each week against the spread. So last week, 28, 30 and two, not what we want, 48.3%, but the totals were among the best we've ever had, which is uh, not, you know, as far as the attention I pay to uh, what we do, the spread projections, the sides are Eighty percent, maybe ninety percent, and you know I do a little work on totals. It's one of the first things I do each week is update a lot of the stats that go into that uh, model projection. But I know it's flawed. We've talked plenty about how we're, you know, the the tails of the distribution on the low side we can never seem to get uh, low enough on games in the 40s or below. On the high side, we can never seem to get high enough on games that are 65 or over. Uh, but the numbers in between have seemingly been pretty good. And last week we were 37, 22, and 1. That's 62.7%. That's about as good as it's ever been for us in, in any uh, you know sides or totals in, in our history. So it's always good to put up a number like that that helped pull, the, pull us up to 55.6%. Overall, in both of those, and and you know, totals have been decent uh, for us. We've only really tracked them the last two years, but fifty-two point nine percent this year uh, is you know the best we've got. <laughs> the, the best, uh, and then fifty-four point three percent all time. And I'm also, it is something that I'll be working on a lot more in the future. Like I think we've got a, a decent sort of baseline uh and then i've been learning more paying more attention uh to kind of some things that other people are doing some things i can learn some things i can learn from other sports um that i think are going to help our total projections and also our prism projections because it uses the same model to uh do our uh projected scoring margin model one of our, our three models so um feel decent about that things moving in the right direction on on uh, both sides, but then also a lot of our preseason win totals. and I haven't gone through and looked,'ll I'll go team by team at some point uh, for all of those you know huge conference previews, those three and a half hour sessions we we <laughs> all did together this summer. Uh, and i'll I'll tally up all those and and I don't know exactly where the numbers will fall, but i I have a pretty good hunch that our win total projections, uh, are a good bit better than our game-by-game projections against the spread, and, and the ones specifically that I have bet that I have, uh, you know, win-loss on so far. Uh, a lot of them have been decided, and so far they're pretty good. Uh, among the wins, I were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight have been decided uh, as far as wins. I was Alabama under eleven and a half. Utah State over 3.5, Memphis under 7.5, Middle Tennessee over 4.5, North Carolina under 9.5, Bowling Green and UNLV both over 1.5, and and San Jose State under – I have it written down wrong here. I think it's under 7.5. We only have two losses. That was Toledo over 8.5, which uh, I still don't understand how Toledo and Western (laughs) Michigan can ever – lose a Mac game like (laughs) Western Michigan did it last night. I just, I just don't quite get it. Uh, And then Arkansas under six and, you know, lost those two. Uh, We've at least gotten a push. No, no worse than a push on Western Michigan over six coastal Carolina under 10. Thank you, Georgia state Uh, North Texas over four temple over three. And we've only got two pending Uh, Louisiana tech over four and a half. And of course, UMass over one and a half, which <laughs> lost to its second straight FCS opponent oh. last week. Uh, according to my projections, they're about a four five point underdog to New Mexico State in the regular season finale. Looks like that's going to be our last chance to get to uh, get over the hump on UMass, which that one, all of these are, are uh, like one, one and a half units. That UMass one is four five units yeah, so it carries, a little, on, of course. carries yep. a little more weight and it's not looking great right now 37 and a half point underdogs to army this week and then probably going to be around a six seven point underdog to new mexico state i would imagine uh, uh so that's got to get that one
1: that's the one
0: that's not looking great well maine would have been nice
1: <laughs> rhode, maine island, would have been nice, rhode but... island
0: would have been nice yeah uh, so anyway but uh looking, uh looking on the, the positive side of things and, and where we've had some success, those season win totals, I think, are, are going to be pretty good for us overall. And, and the ones that I personally bet uh, preseason are, are looking like we're going to finish with a pretty decent record. So uh, happy about that. That's a little bit of, of uh, good news uh, based on how some of our projections have fared uh, so far this year.
1: So when we're looking at the Week 12 schedule here, Nick, what – week 12 lines you look at and say what are they thinking here what which ones have you the most confused uh well there
0: there are two sort of g5 lines that just look a little little strange to me louisiana tech is a 16 and a half point favorite against southern miss uh we've been too high on southern miss again uh, we've also been a little too high on Louisiana Tech, both of those teams for whatever reason. Um, we, we've been on a lot on all three agree selections and things like that. Uh, Louisiana Tech, I mentioned, you know, that four and a half over four and a half win total is still pending because they've been uh, really pretty disappointing. Southern Miss has been really bad. I think much worse than a lot of people expect. And a lot of it has to do with injuries of the quarterback position. Uh, saw a note. The uh, uh, Scott Watkins, who's now a, a reporter for uh Southern Miss, but has done a lot of work uh covering the Sun Belt in the past, uh, you know, put a note that uh, and wrote up how uh Southern Miss has had 10 players take snaps at quarterback this year, Oof. and not all of them are quarterbacks. I mean, this past week, right, wildcat. Uh, they did Wildcat. Uh, really, a lot of it with Frank Gore Jr. Um, but so it's it's kind of difficult to project Southern Miss right now because that position, which carries the most weight in our projections, and you know for a lot of other folks as well, uh, it's hard to know how to count it. You know, do I count Frank Gore Jr. in there because he took uh, so many snaps? Uh, last week, and it seemed to pay off. I mean, they gave UTSA a game for, for most of it. Or do we put the, you know, walk-on <laughs> guy who uh, wasn't part of the team in August in there? You know, it's 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 mm-hmm. kind of a difficult situation. 16 and a half seems like a lot of points, especially for Louisiana Tech, but that's kind of a weird one. Colorado State is favored, two-point favorite on the road at Hawaii this week. We've had Colorado State favored in, like, four or five straight games. Um, and so it's, it's uh, you know, that, that seems weird because they've, again, we've been too high on them. They lost a couple of those outright for sure. Um, and, and so that's just a little bit strange. But one that's uh, just, it's going to be, I think, impossible to for us to, to get a uh, correct read on. Currently, we have Pitt as a 14.01 point favorite against Virginia. Uh, The official line for grading purposes for us was Pitt minus 14. So we're technically on Pitt. And the reason sort of the the way we got to 14.01, because we do count individual players, you know, we have the individual player ratings and that all gets filtered in. Uh, Brennan Armstrong missed last game with a broken rib, uh, quarterback for Virginia, Currently have him, you know, quote-unquote slashed as the starting quarterback um, because it it doesn't seem clear if he's going to play. And even if he does play, will he be fully healthy? Uh, So I just figured that was the right way to go. If he doesn't play, you know, Pitt would be an even bigger favorite. If he was a fully healthy starter, our projection would be Pitt by closer to 12.5. So it would be, you know, well over a point on Virginia to cover. So that one's just a weird one. I mean, to have basically the exact same projection as uh, the odds makers, it's, it's a total coin flip as to which side we're going to be on, You know, win-loss for our, our record. Uh, we're technically on pit, and it has everything to do with whether or not Armstrong will play, and we probably won't know that until kickoff. So uh, that's just one of the one of the weird ones, but I figured it was worth uh, a, a brief discussion, just because it's you know kind of throw up your hands. What can we do? Yeah, I could I could say Armstrong's going to play, and we're you know on Virginia. I could say he's not going to play. Uh, we're on Pitt easily, or but even if he does play, he probably won't be hundred percent, right? That's that's kind of my thinking, and that's why I I slashed it because he's you know he's a ninety nine plus rated player just based on how great his season he's getting some gone. Heisman buzz it's earlier yeah, this year. Yeah. And and so at full strength, you know, he's one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Uh not at full strength and with a, a rib injury that might have impact how well he can throw. Is he a ninety nine rated player? You know, it's it's a lot of uh a little bit of guesswork. It's a little bit of hedging and and so, you know, we are on pit. I don't know if I would rather be on Pitt or Virginia. Uh but it doesn't doesn't really matter, the margin's so so close, and it's just which you know side uh, we we have to guess as to whether or not Armstrong would play or not, so it's just one of those. If we win it, great, it'll be a win. If we lose it, oh well, made the wrong uh, made the wrong choice. So uh, don't have any any read personally on that game. It has everything to do with whether or not Armstrong will play.
1: Javier, when you look at this week's schedule, do you see a line and go, what the hell are they thinking?:
2: Oh, yeah, Utah's favorite this week. I, I I don't know. We'll talk about that. Yep. Yeah, we, we, yeah, yeah, we need to because Oregon, in my opinion, has figured itself out again. Uh, you know, uh, last week again, I watched their game last week, and I think they've gotten another running back. Now, obviously, you know, uh, he's no level of C.J. Verdell, but I think Byron Cardwell has led to them finding a new that that getting back to that identity that they had when they beat Ohio State earlier this year, which is pounding the rocket and making sure that Anthony Brown doesn't have to throw the football too much. Um, and, and I think that you saw that in last week's game, they ran for almost 300 yards. As a, they ran for 300 yards as a team against Washington State, and that's that's Oregon's identity. That's what they want to do. They want to bully you up front. They want to run the football on the edges. And they and they and you know, obviously, running Travis Dye into the ground obviously isn't the goal. But I think Byron Cardwell is a guy that we could definitely look forward to, to. You know, if they were to make the playoff, as a, as a guy that you have to keep your eye on going forward. Uh, and I'm staying in the Pac-12 for my. Other pick that I will find in like two seconds, because Vegas <laughs> decides to reset its screen every time. Uh, oh, UCLA only a three-point favorite against or against USC. That, that for me is a – I feel like that's because it's a rivalry game, that they're keeping it so close. Uh, but it, there, there's been no – I don't think I'm mixing my words here when I say UCLA has well-on-performed – where we thought they'd be, and USC has performed well under what we thought they would be this year. And going into this game, you know, USC is in just a really shambolic place right now. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do internally. You know, the quarterback situation has been in flux. I just don't see USC putting it all together for this game. And on top of that, this is a revenge game for UCLA. Remember, UCLA had them down and out last year. You know, UCLA had an opportunity to knock off USC when they were a ranked team last year, and they let it slide through their hands in the fourth quarter. This, it, they're going to be up for this game. I and mean, I think UCLA is going out there to beat a dead horse uh, into the ground. And, and so, you know, I, and I'm not saying they're going to beat them by 21 points, but three is a little too close for my blood to be perfectly honest with you. I think a touchdown plus would be more apropos.
1: Yeah. I like the shambolic. That's uh that's a good word usage. there, Xavier. Yeah. Very, very, very nice. So uh, what about um, in our model, Nick, is there well one that what, what's showing the biggest edge in our model here?
0: yeah so one uh thing that that's been pretty decent for us this year games with a uh, edge of five points or more difference of five points or more um in our projection and, and that vegas insider consensus spread it's there have been really very few of them in recent weeks because we've been so tight uh but we've got a little breathing room this week we for the first time in three weeks, didn't set an all-time record low. Uh, we've got uh, a distance of 2.44 this week. Um, that's our fourth lowest of the season, but it's our highest since week nine. And we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games with an edge of, of over five, including one of two touchdowns, which is like a big flashing light that something, <laughs> something is wrong, but... Um, you know, it, it certainly could work because it's it's a big number and, and a lot of these are big numbers. And late in the season, um, you know, that's that's somewhat rare, and and I guess that's where our biggest uh differences can come, you know, when there's more points uh available, it, it definitely has the, the opportunity to to you know create some bigger gaps. But uh Duke plus 20 against Louisville on uh Thursday night. Is one don't have a whole lot of confidence in Duke, mm-hmm. uh, but we think it'll be you know our projection is closer to two touchdowns, not not twenty. Uh, UMass plus thirty seven and a half. Obviously, uh, we were a little higher on UMass than it turned out that that probably <laughs> they are, but 37 and a half is a lot of points. And and we think it'll be closer to 30 uh, Arkansas state plus 17 against Georgia state mentioned last week, Georgia state was one of these. We were on coastal Carolina, uh, you know, minus 10 and our projection was over two touchdowns. Obviously that didn't work out. We're a little low on Georgia state, uh, but Arkansas state and 17, you know, the talent difference is not that big. Um, so we, we, you know, I, I feel decent about that one that, that within 17, um, I, I think that that's absolutely doable. East, pardon, East Carolina minus four against Navy. We've talked plenty that Navy has uh, shown a tendency to keep games closer than uh, the, you know, our projections might indicate, but within four, you know, beating, beating Navy by a touchdown is absolutely within the realm. And, and that's closer to what we expect. Uh, Temple, you know, we've been on Temple a lot and 22 points. Hasn't been enough uh, recently, but but we think that they you know can keep it within three touchdowns uh, in their game this week. Vanderbilt plus thirty seven against Ole Miss absolutely could you know get away from them, but uh, thirty seven points again, just a lot of points, and and we think it's closer to thirty one in our projection. And then finally, the the big one, um, South Alabama is a team again, you know, and. and Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of these teams are ones that are often in our all three agrees that perhaps we're just a little too high on. And for whatever reason, our model just hasn't quite caught up or hasn't quite figured these teams out. So I don't have a high level of confidence in really any of these, except maybe the Arkansas State one looks OK. Maybe the East Carolina one looks OK. The other one I'm, I'm, I'm pretty shaky on. But this one, South Alabama plus 28 against Tennessee. Um, you know, it's a non-conference game that that has thrown us off a little bit this year. Uh, South Alabama is a team we've been maybe a little too high on at times this year. Uh, but our projection is two touchdowns, basically. And and I think that feels low, but I think four touchdowns, you know, might, might be a little uh, too high. So... Uh, we, we see a huge huge edge there that usually is not a great sign um, that that does indicate something you know could certainly be off on, on our side. Uh, but again, a lot of points and and uh, to be on an underdog with that many points, I guess I'd rather be on that side late in the year. We'll see absolutely a game Tennessee could blow out uh, South Alabama, but um, we've also seen, you know, some some less talented teams hang with them a little bit as well. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. We were 0-2 last week, but we're 52.6% this year. And and hopefully um, we'll get more of these right than wrong and and continue to be on the right side of, uh, you know, 50%, 52% uh, toward the end of the year. I, I think that Xavier
1: would agree with you, that Tennessee is probably not going to, you know, <clears throat> that bread right. I mean, even though... You got to put a little respect on them. They put the most points up on. No, good. And
2: yeah. That, that Actually, is has done that Xavier. That is the worst silver lining I've ever heard. I've heard it so many times from so many publications this week. It's like, well, Tennessee did put up 17. It's like, yeah, cool. I got into a car wreck and my, you know, and my tires were still intact. Solid yeah. job. Like, you know, uh, but I mean, yes, I will give some credit to their offense. I will be honest with you. I, they probably should add way more than seventeen. They missed some absolute golden opportunities at the beginning of that game to make it a game. Uh, but shout out to Hendon Hooker for those overthrows. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> oh, man,
1: yep. Well, I mean, the level of disrespect is the same here on this show for Tennessee. So some things never change, never even even in a weird year where in Texas is losing to Kansas, you know, all, all kinds of stuff is happening. Uh, the Tennessee disrespect stays the same, but let's move to the week 12 previews. And uh, Nick put the first two games that I picked up here. And I want to start out with SMU at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's 11 and a half point favorite here, Nick 65 is the over uh, in this game. And I don't know, Cincinnati's had some pretty close calls here recently. It looks like the pressure might be getting to them here. So how do you see this game playing out?
0: Yeah, you know, Cincinnati is a team. I mentioned some of those in the, the uh, previous segment where we were a little too high on certain teams and, and you know, they were... Uh, losing by bigger margins than we projected each week, it seemed like, or or more weeks than not. Cincinnati's kind of on the flip side a little bit. And, you know, they and and Coastal Carolina, in recent weeks, since Grayson McCall went down, we've just – our projections have been so high because early in the season they really were blowing people out. And they rank really still pretty high in a lot of the, um, you know, advanced stats that we look at. Cincinnati is in the top ten – in each of the five uh, you know, net or margin stats that, that we pay pretty close attention to. They're fourth in net yards per play against FBS opponents. They are fifth in net points per drive filtered for garbage time against FBS opponents, eighth in net yards per pass attempt against FBS opponents, uh, fourth in net success rate, third in uh, expected points added margin. So they're, you know, elite in a lot of the uh, advanced numbers, and and some of that is built on previous uh, or, or you know early season results against, in some cases, some fairly weak opponents. Um, but you know they continue to win. They continue to uh, you know they are a very talented team i mean i think desmond ritter is a solid quarterback um you know jerome ford transfer running back from alabama missed last week we currently don't have him uh listed as playing but he certainly could uh and in which case our our projection would move you know a few percentage points uh on the cincinnati side um but they've Got some depth there. I mean, Charles McClellan, uh, Ryan Montgomery, Ethan Wright, those guys have have uh, stepped in and, and done a pretty good job. The receiving core is solid. I mean, they've got, you know, Michael Young and Alec Pierce. This morning I saw uh didn't didn't get to read it, but saw a headline of uh where at least one talent evaluator is is uh thinking Alec Pierce has first round potential. That came as a little bit of a surprise to me. I know he's uh, you know, incredibly athletically gifted. And he certainly had some productive moments as well. But first round, that's, <laughs> you know, that that's pretty elite company. And then they've also got multiple defensive backs that are in that conversation with uh, Ahmad Gardner. Kobe Bryant have been just incredible uh, corners in, in their career. Maje Sanders, I think, has an NFL future as an edge rusher. They're just they have very few. Uh, weak points on the roster they've won every game on the schedule but in recent weeks they haven't been as impressive as as maybe uh you would expect for uh, you know a, a team that is projected as high as they are for a team that's in the playoff conversation you know i don't know if it's just the style of play uh, that that has kept things a little bit closer. I mean, I think Navy is certainly in that conversation. Tulane does some interesting things on offense that even though both of those teams haven't won a lot, you know they they can give uh, some talented teams trouble, can keep the the uh, score a little closer just based on some of the things they do schematically. You know, Tulsa has been a little bit of a thorn in the side at times. Uh, and then last week they were up big on USF and and then USF just kind of uh, were able to, to make things a lot closer in the fourth quarter than expected. But, yeah, you know, maybe nervousness, maybe pressure, what have you, has is, is gotten to them a little bit. Uh, and then it's really hard to win. Every game, it, it just is, and so um, you know they, they've played games closer than expected in recent weeks. Uh, but our projections are still really high on Cincinnati. They're fourth in our uh, power rankings, which is easily the highest we've ever been for a group of five team. Um, you know, so so they're they're absolutely a solid team. SMU is, uh, speaking of win totals, I didn't actually bet this with my real own, own money, but when we were doing the betting game uh, in in the spring during our previews, I did put SMU over six uh, as one, that our numbers were pretty high on SMU compared to the market, and they've blown past that. They've won eight games. Uh, they are among the most talented group of five teams in the country. They've done a great job uh, in the transfer portal. Tanner Mordecai hit the ground running, put up huge uh, passing numbers, touchdown numbers. Um, you know they found uh, some options, transfer guys at receiver, the defense, uh, a lot of guys in you know the secondary. They've got starters uh, at other positions as well that have uh, been transfers coming in, and, and then they've also recruited you know pretty well. Also, Ulysses Bentley finally finally looks healthy. Uh, had played a little bit. The previous, you know, three or four weeks, uh, but had been dealing with, I believe it was an ankle injury last week. Finally, you know, we got to see him uh, play at the level that we expected in the preseason. He didn't look right for a big chunk of the year. He didn't. It's good to see him
1: have that explosion back.
0: For sure, absolutely, and, and you know, last week was great. Trey Siggers stepped in, a transfer from North Texas, uh, had been a really you know solid uh, player taking over when when Bentley wasn't full steam, full speed, um, and their receiving core. You know, one of the better group of five units in the country, Reggie Roberson, Rashid Rice, Danny Gray with incredible speed. Grant Calcaterra has been a solid tight end, another transfer. Uh, and then last week they got a big time performance from a true freshman, Dylan Goffney. And it looks like, you know, Dylan Goffney and, and their current backup quarterback, Preston Stone, highly rated true freshman, uh, could be a... a Big time combination in, in future year future years, uh, but they're they're a very very solid team. They're a talented team. The talent advantage that Cincinnati has had over teams like USF and Tulane and Navy not quite the case this week. I mean, they do still have a talent edge, but it's single digits. Uh, according to our projections against SMU, they haven't had a single digit talent edge since. Uh, the game against Indiana earlier this year. And, you know, Indiana obviously not as good as as we expected coming into the season, but that also shows, you know, that, that uh, the teams that they've been playing, Cincinnati's just been by far the more talented team. Notre Dame had a, had an outright talent edge in, in that game, but um, everybody else on the schedule, Cincinnati not only has had, had a talent edge, but it's been uh, double digits, you know, 10 points or more even against UCF. So um, this one is, is closer. This will be the most talented team they've faced since Notre Dame, uh, the third most talented team on the schedule. So it makes sense that this game could be even closer than the close games Cincinnati has played in recent weeks. However, our projections are still... You know, still give Cincinnati a lot of credit. Uh, they're a 11 and a half point favorite officially, and and we have it right at 12 on the dot. So, not a huge margin. It is, you know, uh, our projection is for Cincinnati to win and cover 37 25s, the predicted uh, final score. That said, we've had Cincinnati projected to cover a lot <laughs> recently and in, in the last few weeks. It hasn't hasn't worked out against USF, hasn't worked out against Tulsa, Tulane, or Navy. So, um, you know, things have not been trending well for us in, in that regard, but this, you know, uh, hopefully it's a game for our sake that uh, Cincinnati is able to make a little bit of a statement, win by, you know, 12, 13, two touchdowns, something in, in that realm. Um, but it would not surprise me at all being the most talented team they've played in conference play, the most talented team they've played since October 2nd, uh, and the way that they've just been surviving in, in recent weeks wouldn't shock me if SMU keeps this, you know, super tight until the end of the game. And this is, you know, potentially Cincinnati's uh, best shot to actually slip up and lose a game um, that's currently on, on their schedule that, you know, conference title game against likely Houston is, is, uh, certainly, uh, a, a possibility as well, even East Carolina next week. So it's not like, you know, they're, uh, guaranteed to, to win out. Uh, but a loss wouldn't necessarily shock me either. This is a game I could see going a variety of different ways from Cincinnati covering relatively easily to losing outright. It, it's difficult for me to, um, to to be able to say, absolutely, I feel good about this projection or, you know, this projection is is totally wrong, too. It's it's not one I have a, a strong opinion on one way or the other. Xavier, you have a
1: strong feeling about this game? I mean, you know, uh, Cincinnati, like I said, they've been playing a little bit. Uh, I don't know what the word you want to use is cautious, uh, just not up to their standards recently. And it seems like the pressure is getting to them. You think this is the game that breaks them?
2: I don't think necessarily the pressure is getting to them. I think that's a narrative that we would like to believe. I just think they've been sleepwalking. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think that they have figured out, hey, we got through the toughest part of our, our schedule and they've been sleepwalking a little bit, right? Uh it's it's hard when you're a team of their of their level and of their caliber and where they want to get to, where you know, some of these games, you're getting the best punch from these from these universities and you're like we're better than you guys. Like y'all best, your best punch isn't gonna knock me out. Like I'm, I'm cool with it, right? And, and and sometimes that that leads to you know maybe you know we're we're looking at the panicking a little bit or we think that the pressure's gotten to them. They've also been trying some things out the last couple of weeks. If you watch Desmond Ritter over the last three weeks, he's been trying to throw the ball a little bit more uh outside the numbers they they've been asking for more from him in the passing game which is not something that he typically does um which is why this game you'll see them they'll get back to what they do well they'll get back to more of an athletic you know uh, more of a a running game uh, and allowing desmond ritter to be more of an athlete than a quarterback Uh, but you know i i see them in a lot of the games in which i've watched them this year they they've tried out for like the first like quarter quarter and a half they've allowed themselves to kind of try out new things maybe open up the playbook a little bit and maybe they're looking towards the future right maybe they're looking towards the playoff and they're like hey if we're going to compete we gotta you we gotta gotta update this passing game a little bit we're not gonna be able to just rely on Desmond Ritter running the football and and our running game uh, and, and a defense that you know we're good in that secondary and obviously they've got some guys on the interior that can actually get to the quarterback the linebackers are a little under, uh, you know, under athletic or unathletic in comparison to what they'll be playing, so they're trying to figure out ways in which they could be more explosive, and, and so I think that that's really what we're seeing from Cincinnati over the last couple of weeks, which is they're just trying stuff out. And, this, and and more than anything, I think they're just sleepwalking through it. Uh, this game, they're going to be up for. It. This is the best team that they've played in what five weeks. You know, this is an opportunity for not even, you know, and more importantly, this is an opportunity for that secondary to finally be tested for the first time in a long time. You know, as when you're a player, sometimes when you're just a really talented team, you're waiting to play a team that can actually give you, you know, some semblance of, of not fear, but like anxiousness. Like, OK, cool. Reggie Roberson can actually run by me like Reggie Roberson can beat me. You know, some of these receivers that we played over the last couple of weeks, I've been able to sit at 10 yards and just wait for him to stop because they're not just going to run by us. You know, and SMU has a powerful enough offense to give Cincinnati some woes and, and to keep their defensive coordinator up at least a little bit later at night than when he's probably been, go, been going to sleep. Uh, so I, I think that this is going to be a good game. I, I've got Cincinnati covering. Um, I think that ultimately what we're going to see is, is although SMU is a very explosive offense, Cincinnati's best part of their team is their secondary. you know, Cincinnati's best, you know, it's going to be best on best the entire time for SMU. And I think ultimately that comes back to bite you when they've got, you know, two, you know, two guys on the front four that can genuinely get to the quarterback. Right. There's, I think there's going to be a lot of coverage sacks for Tanner Mordecai on Saturday uh, where, where you just see, you know, the Ahmad Gardner and crew just really hunker down back there um, and force SMU to, to, to be, you know, to change their offensive scheme. You know, SMU is not a team that likes to run the football. They do it because they have to. They do it to keep you honest. But ultimately, they want Tanner Mordecai to throw for 400-plus yards, sit back there in the pocket, and dice you up. And they're not going to be able to do that this week. They're going to challenge them. They're probably going to run press men on the outside, and they're going to force Reggie Robertson and those guys to beat them one-on-one, you know, for, for you, know, uh, you know, eight, nine plays and on a drive. And I want to see how SMU does with that. Um, I'm expecting a lot of pick plays from SMU this week. Because Cincinnati does like to run so much, man, Um, and that's the way SMU is going to be able to stay in this game is if they're able to figure out a way to to, to confuse these corners and to make them uh, at some point make them play off the ball a little bit, giving them enough space to like to run those slant routes that they love so much at SMU. Uh, So I like this game just purely based on the fact that it's giving Cincinnati an opportunity to show the rest of the country that they are not, you know. That the pressure hasn't gotten to them as you guys have said, or that, you know, it's a situation where they're not prepared for the college football playoff. And I think if they win this game by enough style points, this is gonna be a really, really good argument come Tuesday, uh, about you know, what their college football playoff ranking should be because ultimately, what is it, them, Georgia, and what is it, UTSA that's undefeated still or Yeah. So I I think that you, you know, you really have to ask yourself if they're able to really beat the brakes off of an eight and two SMU team. Well, who's to say at this point, they haven't done just that much more, right? You know, they've been able to continue to style points, style points, style points. Well, what's more stylistic than being an SMU team by 35? And I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen, but if they're able to do that, that's what what's probably looking to do this week is to to really beat the brakes off of them. And And I think SMU covers. Uh, I like them to win this game. And like I said, I think Cincinnati gets back to what they do really well, which is Desmond Ritter running the football, you know, intermediate passing game, the occasional shot to, uh, to Pearson company, but really running in between the tackles and letting Desmond Ritter get out and be an athlete when he needs to.
1: I mean, I think it's going to take a loss to someone ahead of them to get them that push into the top four. But, I mean, style points are going to help for sure. Uh, The other game I picked here, because I'm just a little confused by this line here, Baylor at Kansas State, it is a pick. The over-under is 50. This is a perfect letdown spot for a good Baylor team after upsetting Oklahoma, going on the road against a strong Kansas State team. You know, not necessarily great, but a strong team in Kansas State. And if you're not ready to play them, they will beat the brakes off you, like uh Xavier just said. So um, but Baylor had their letdown game against TCU before the Oklahoma game already. So I think that uh Baylor's gonna come ready to play here, Nick. So this line confuses me a little bit. How do you see it going?
0: Yeah, it, it is an unexpected, uh, you know, it was an unexpected number. And when i mentioned you know on, on sunday i usually don't look ahead too much i mean I, I each week because the way i I still have it kind of manually set up the uh projected win percentages i have an idea hopefully i'll be able to uh, make that a little more automatic but each week i do go through and update each team's uh you know chance of winning the game outright in our team profiles uh, based on the projected point spreads, which are updated automatically, uh, so I do see a little bit, you know, uh, ahead of time. And and one we'll talk about a little bit later. Oregon and Utah I was not at all surprised that Utah was going to be favored in that game. Uh, but this one I, I didn't necessarily see coming. But it's one that got a little tighter and tighter, um, you know, over the last few weeks. And on the one hand, I've been incredibly impressed with Baylor. Uh, I am so impressed with Dave Aranda. I always liked him, but the more you know, I've been able to to read a little bit about his his background, his process, kind of the you know hear him talk a little bit more because he was always uh, you know real quiet. Didn't didn't talk to the uh, one his personalities just you know it doesn't doesn't uh, isn't always out there uh, talking a, a lot. But um, when he was an, an assistant at LSU just didn't get very many opportunities to talk with the media, it seemed like. Um, but now that he's a head coach and getting a little more comfortable in the day-to-day is opening up a little bit more, talking a little about his background, his process. And, and um, there've been some you know profiles and, and stories written. Um, and he's just a really interesting guy and and kind of sees the game, I think, in a fairly unique way and has been really impressive. You know, 2020, his first year as a head coach, wasn't great. Made a uh, a mistake with his offensive coordinator hire, but didn't hesitate. Made a change, and and you know Baylor has been uh, one of the most improved teams in the country, not just from a record standpoint, but uh, from a lot of the metrics that we uh, you know take into account offensively. You know defense, we always figured they were they were going to be okay. I mean, last year in team performance they ranked 42nd. This year they ranked 44th. You know, and and so basically the same on defense. Still some room for improvement, but how about the offense? Last year they were 116th in offensive team performance. This year 17th. Uh, they've you know they converted a linebacker to running back, and and this morning uh, I was filling out my FWAA All America ballot, and I put Abram Smith as an All American running back. I mean, seven yards per carry, sharing carries, and he's just been incredible. And the guy was playing linebacker. Like a year ago, so uh, just super impressed with him uh, and Ebner and, are
1: just uh, unbelievable one-two punch. They're very, great one-two good. combo, and Eb- yeah.
0: Ebner, you know, has a as a really valuable skill set. It's a really good receiver, really great uh, impact player in uh, you know on special teams. The fact that they didn't uh, go and get a transfer uh, portal quarterback and and were able to you know get Gar- Gary Bohannon, uh, you know put him in that role. He was able to win that role. Certainly he deserves credit, uh, but they were able to coach him up as well. And and just sort of they, they it's, it's been very interesting. I have and in the off season. We'll get a lot more into, you know, the coaching carousel stuff. We'll get a lot more into talks about transfer portal. Uh, but a lot of teams and Utah state's a great example. Uh, Die uh, dove into an in SMU a couple of years ago, dove into the transfer portal, with a new head coach and it just boom, you know, they were able to to improve quickly. Baylor has kind of taken a little bit of the old school approach. They've gotten some transfers and and gotten some impact uh from transfers uh as well but it's been much more of hey we inherited this roster um what can we do maybe we put guys in a little bit different position uh maybe we can uh get a little more out of them than the, the previous coaching staff, um, you know, traditional recruiting, that, that type of thing, you can win different ways. And, and Baylor is, has taken that approach and it's worked out this year. I'm really interested to see, I think Aranda is going to have plenty of opportunities. USC perhaps is a good fit. He's from Southern California. Um, uh, you know, Will he stick around at Baylor? It's it's going to be very interesting. Can you win a football national championship at Baylor? Is that what's you know his driving force? It might not be. He might just feel like it's a great fit for him personally. He's the kind of guy where I think that might carry a little more weight than chasing a you know a, a blue blood program job or or what have you. Uh, and especially we've seen Baylor you know win basketball national championships, right? So so they have uh, they have the capability from an athletic. Uh, department standpoint, maybe to get that done. So I don't know. That's beside the point of them versus Kansas. But that's something that, you know, sometimes I take this as an excuse to, to go off on another tangent. I told, I told you guys before we started, I'd try not to do that today. But, uh, you know, we know better Kansas, than to listen to you, Nick. Come on. There you Everybody go. Everybody knows. But Kansas State is a team that, you know, from a, a roster strength standpoint, not always super impressive. They're 60th in roster strength. They're just recruiting numbers, our recruiting numbers. Uh, They have classes. I mean, the current roster is made up of classes that ranked 55th in our recruiting strength numbers last year, 58th the year before, then 67th, 60th, 68th. So this is toward the very bottom of the Power 5 spectrum in just raw talent. And then even the way that we weight experience and career production. And they've, they've got some star players. I mean, Deuce Vaughn is one of my, maybe, you know, very high on the list of my favorite overall players. And he's been incredibly productive, not just as a runner, but as a receiver. Uh, Skylar Thompson is playing well. He's had to completely change his game since coming back from a lower body injury that looked like it might've been season ending uh, in week two that he's now basically a pocket passer. I mean, he was a guy that uh, ran a lot, was a productive runner, a weapon as a runner, and recently just hasn't really run very much uh, since he's come back, but he's been able to distribute the football well. You know, some receivers have stepped up and and, uh, made some strides in recent weeks. They've gotten some production from the tight end position as well. And they're a top 20 offense. That was really kind of a shock to me, <laughs> to see our, our most recent team performance numbers. They rank 19th in offensive team performance, 27th in passing, 18th in rushing, and I did not expect that. Uh, the defense started really, really slow, but has come on in recent weeks and ranks 40th in defensive team performance, 61st against the pass, 34th against the run. They've been uh, somewhat surprisingly very very disruptive you know rushing the passer they've had some injuries in on that defensive line and they lost uh an nfl pass rusher from last year's team but they've still found a way to get after the quarterback and actually bring down the quarterback and and uh felix uh felix uh and Udike Umaza is among the national leaders in in sacks this year, and, and that's been um, a big part of it, and, and a guy that kind of came out of nowhere, played 41 snaps last year, played five games in his career coming in, and wasn't a projected starter coming in and, and just is, has gone in and, and been incredibly, incredibly productive. But uh, they're a, a team that has uh, really been on a roll Recently, one four in a row, the lowest postgame win expectancy number, according to collegefootballdata.com, in that stretch has been 85%. And that was four weeks ago against Texas Tech. Part of it is they played, you know, arguably the four weakest teams in the Big 12 during that stretch, but it came after when they played maybe the toughest three teams, uh, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Iowa State, to open Big 12 play lost those games, weren't really super competitive. You know, 30% was the highest post-game win expectancy in those three, and I had kind of written off Kansas State a little bit. I thought they, you know, could give some teams trouble, but I didn't necessarily expect them to be as good as they have been, and they've moved to 30th in our power rankings, which seems seems high, quite honestly, but it's even a little bit lower than some of the other uh, you know, numbers out there. I think uh, FPI has them, maybe in the in the top twenty-five, uh, maybe even close to the top twenty. So they're playing really well, and a lot of the underlying numbers uh, are very, very strong. You know, they are well coached. Cl- Chris Kleiman has done a good job. Kind of a a little bit of a hybrid from taking a roster that he inherited, coaching him up, uh, traditional recruiting, but also sprinkling in some impact transfers, particularly on defense. I mean, they're starting, uh, I believe, three first-year transfers this year. And, and, you know, Kansas State traditionally is, has played a lot of transfers, a lot of Juco guys uh, as well. But it's, it's uh, you know, I was surprised at first that our uh, initial projection had this. I believe Kansas State was slightly favored when I released them on on Sunday night after doing the updates from the Baylor win over Oklahoma, of course, uh, played a a role, Uh, we do, you know, it it got tighter, but we actually, you know, still have Kansas State favored. It's by less than a point, but we do have Kansas State projected to win. I don't have a ton of confidence in that. I think Baylor is good enough to win this game, even on the road, and Baylor has been playing really, really well. Aranda and his staff, I mean, the way that they were able to scheme and, and did it last year too as well, but we're able to uh, beat Oklahoma is is impressive. Uh, the way that they've been able to you know go out and, and beat teams like Texas, BYU uh, has been impressive. Iowa State impressive. Um, so this is this is a really really interesting matchup because it's not the two most talented teams, uh, but it's it's a game that. They're relatively evenly matched. They're quality, well-coached teams, uh, and it, it it should be a fun one. I I think I would rather be on the side of Baylor to win this one outright. But based on those numbers and and based on the way Kansas State has played in recent weeks, uh, plus they've got Deuce Vaughn, who's a playmaker. They've got uh, a a an experienced senior quarterback, one of the most experienced starters. In the Big 12, you know, probably ranks really, really high nationally as well. I can see why Kansas State is favored. The margin is very, very slow, uh, you know, very, very slim. I don't know that I necessarily agree with us being on the or, or wish we were on the side of Kansas State, but I, I could certainly see uh, how they get out of there with a win, especially with the game being at home. So uh, it's a, a really, really interesting matchup. There's a lot more going on in my mind than just what's what's on the field, but it should be a great game. And we have K uh, K-State predicted uh, our predicted final scores, 26, 25, something in that range, uh, either direction, 27, 24 uh, is, is absolutely. I think how this will end and it'll be fun to see which team uh, can come out on top. Xavier, do you
1: agree with that, that it, this is a, a close game or do you see this more in the favor of Baylor? Do you think that look uh This is a tough Kansas state team and you like them to maybe take this game because it's at home
2: yeah well I mean something you said this year Scott you know you said Baylor's already had its letdown game well Kansas State hasn't had its real upset game you know that they typically have every year right they got Ooh, close oh
1: I like yeah. that point I they, like they,
2: that's they, a good they, had, point. they didn't get one against Oklahoma they barely lost that ball game earlier in the year typically they do get them at home we all know that playing in Manhattan is like a special you know the secret sauce for them so you know this might be the opportunity to do that uh, you know they've got Baylor coming in and when I watch Baylor, sometimes to help me understand teams a little bit better, I like to compare them. For me, Baylor is like, ai won't say a carbon copy, but they very much remind me of Arkansas this year in, in how they're in their play styles, especially with their running quarterbacks uh, and, and their defense being a lot of bend, don't break um, uh, up front. And so I think when I'm looking at Baylor, they are very susceptible because of how their offensive style is to upsets, right? let's not get it twisted. Baylor does not want to pass the football. They do not want to make uh, Bohannon throw the ball more than 25 times a game. So if Kansas State can come out hot, maybe get 14 nothing early, they can really make this into a uh, into their game. And it could turn Baylor into a, a, a one-dimensional type offense where they're now having to drop back. And that's a win-win-win for Kansas State if they can go ahead and do that. Uh, I think Baylor wins this game because I feel like the, we, the reason why Kansas state's always able to sneak up on somebody is because they're able to sneak up on people. They typically get somebody earlier on in the year who maybe isn't looking at them as a team that can compete in the big 12. And then they go beat Oklahoma in like week four or week five, right? Something some, a little earlier on in the year. Uh, Baylor's got everything to play for right now. Oklahoma is, is a loss away from Baylor being in the big 12 championship game. Right? So at this point, Baylor Cannot uh, allow themselves a letdown game. They 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 don't have the 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 margin for error, right? And and on top of that, they have an opportunity to what win their first Big Twelve title since when? I'm pretty sure that since they since they won the co-title with TCU a couple of years ago, is that not the last time that they won the the the, the Big Twelve? I mean, that sounds Um, right. I don't
1: remember, but yeah,
2: that's right. Did they have an opportunity here? and, And although, and the rumors will begin as they always do, will Dave Aranda leave Baylor? So, you know, if he's going to leave, the best way to leave is to leave off of a Big 12 championship. I'm just going to let you know that now. You know, you want to leave on a good note, win Baylor a big 12 championship and then go ahead and go to LSU, which is being rumored around the entirety of the SEC community right now. Um, but I think Baylor wins this game. I think Baylor has, is hitting their stride at the right time. I think you're right, Scott. I think they had their letdown game against TCU overlooking that game and getting to Oklahoma. And what I saw from them last week. Uh, okay. Uh, By the way, you were right.
1: Me. It was 2014 uh, Baylor wait, wait. TCU co-champions. They mm-hmm. won the year before to 2013, but gotcha. every year since twenty fourteen has been
2: Oklahoma. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so I, I think when you look at Baylor, but something I will say that that impressed me in last week's game, and I think will have to be something that they they're able to do this week is they got to the QB. I mean, they got to the QB a lot. You know, they had six, they had six sacks as a team last week, uh, excuse me, five sacks as a team last week, and two INTs, both of which were off of quarterback pressures, which I think is going to be a huge plus if that all of a sudden, if that four if that front four slash, you know, uh, when they decide to blitz is getting pressure uh, on the QB, because we know that Skylar Thompson can be a bit turnover prone at times. And so I do feel like Baylor maybe is hitting their stride at the right time. Um, you know, obviously, you know, beating Oklahoma is probably the peak of your powers if you're able to do that in the Big Twelve, but. You know, I think they're hitting their stride at the right time, and they're also playing a Kansas State team who doesn't want to throw the football all, uh, that much, who doesn't want to make uh, Scholar Thompson become uh, a five, seven-step drop uh, kind of guy, and they want to be able to run the ball with Deuce Vaughn and company and control the clock, control the game, uh, control time of possession. Heck, they did it against West Virginia last week where they really just said, West Virginia, we're going to bully you for four quarters, um, and West Virginia just didn't have an answer for that. So I think when you, when you look at this game, it's who it's for me. It's whoever can be more physical up front and who's front four in particular is able to make the other quarterback uncomfortable on passing downs. Gary Bohannon, a lot of times last week against Oklahoma, had the ability to run on third and fives, run on third and six, make plays with his feet uh, because Oklahoma, where their coverage was decent, they weren't getting to him. They weren't forcing him to feel uncomfortable. They didn't make him, you know, anytime a quarterback's eyes go down and he's looking around him at the pressure, that's when you know you've got a quarterback in trouble. None of that had to happen for Gary Bohannon last week. And so if – you know, and that's what essentially Baylor was able to do to Caleb Williams by the second half. We even saw it. Spencer Rattler had to come in because Caleb Williams was just rattled completely uh, at, at points in that ball game. So if Baylor's front four found something that worked last week and found their stride, they're going to win this game. And I don't think it'll be all that close. Uh, if not, I think, like Nick said, this is a game that could go down to the absolute wire. It might be a game winning field goal for either side uh, to be able to win this ball ballgame. Um, so. I like Baylor. I think, like I said, I think they're, they're they're coming in with plenty of momentum, and they've got everything to play for. So this is not an opportunity for them to let – this is not a situation where they should let down because they're, they're looking at the fact that Oklahoma State plays Oklahoma in a week and anything happens in Bedlam. Then they're in the Big 12 championship game. So, you know, with a really good chance to win because they played Oklahoma State pretty well. They're going to want revenge against Oklahoma State. And who's to say Oklahoma walks through Iowa State? i I think they will, but who's to say that they do? And uh, who's to say that they don't have a let get down game in themselves? So, I like Baylor, uh, and, and I like what they've got going. Uh, and, and fingers crossed. I want Dave Aranda to stay. Fingers crossed he stays there because I think he's building what could be. You know, he, he's taking the momentum that they had uh, in years prior, and I think he's actually he could carry this momentum to a Big Twelve. In my opinion, that's a that, that's more open than I think we thought coming into the year.
1: It's definitely more open hundred yeah. percent. I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma is great, but this isn't the best Oklahoma team we've ever seen. Right. Mm-hmm. So segue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, let's go to it. Iowa state at <laughs> Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a four point home favorite. The over under is 60 in this game. They seem to have just had their letdown, but Iowa state, you know, Iowa state's a strong team that has already had their letdowns for sure. But what do you think? How do you think this game goes, Nick? I don't know, man.
0: <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a perfect response. right? I don't know, man. Yeah, right, yeah I'm, I'm I'm so disappointed in both Iowa State and Oklahoma. Uh, you know, uh, Oklahoma. It, it seemed most of the year, uh, and I think I've said this before, and and I know in our texts back and forth, some on Saturday, I've I've had you know the, just the thought, Oklahoma. All right, just just win the game. Just just win the game. And for the most part, they had done, I mean, they did it, what, nine times in a row. Last week, didn't get it done uh, against Baylor. And and it was a really, really impressive performance uh, by Baylor. But Oklahoma's just been not quite as good as expected. I mean, our numbers uh, thought they were among the elite teams, you know, third or fourth in our preseason uh, power rankings. They still haven't dropped very much. I mean, they're sixth. Um, but they are one of those teams that just isn't quite playing up to uh, the level that you would expect, uh, you know, based on their talent profile, roster strength, all that good stuff. The problems, you know, statistically in a lot of ways, can be found on the defensive side of the ball. Seventy um, fourth in defensive team performance, one hundred and second against the pass, but the offense, you know, is not what it it was. One, uh, it's not that elite offense that we got really used to the first few years of Lincoln Riley's tenure as head coach. I mean, it was pretty easy to pencil in Oklahoma as, you know, number one, maybe number two in offensive team performance, you know, for a while. I mean, look, at they were they were number one uh, in our team performance numbers in 2016, 2017 and 2018. They were fourth in 2019 and third last year. This year they're eleventh, and that's still a really, really solid offense. But they haven't been able to run the football consistently. They're fifty-sixth in rushing team performance, and so they're eleven. You know, outside of the top ten, looking in. And I, I guess I let myself get you know roped in sometimes to certain uh, hot shot offensive coaches. Uh, I remember it happened in the first year or two under Gus Malzahn at Auburn, and I was always a big. I was on fan i mean the days when i was uh coaching high school football he was coming up and even right before then uh when i was when i was even younger he was coming into the game and i was just enamored with with the stuff he was doing uh as a high school coach and then you know at, at arkansas the one year and tulsa the, the couple of years after and when he got to auburn and they went from what he took over a three and nine team i think and took him to the national championship game in his first year i was like they're never going to lose. Auburn is never going to lose again at football. I mean, how in the world? Because Gus Malzahn is the greatest and uh, nobody's going to figure out this offense. Well, it, you know, defensive coaches are pretty smart too. And eventually they figured it out. And now, you know, Malzahn still does some good things, but uh, it's, it's not like, you know, he, he completely figured out the game of football and nobody could ever touch him again. And I kind of, Felt that way a little bit about Lincoln Riley a couple of uh, years ago, and and you know got to thinking, man, the, you know Oklahoma is recruiting so well. He's putting uh, first round quarterback after first round quarterback. How is Oklahoma ever going to lose a game? And for the most part, they've they've won. I mean, you you just mentioned when we were talking about Baylor that Oklahoma's won every Big Twelve championship uh, since Baylor won it in in twenty fourteen. They're still in the mix this year. They certainly could still uh, win it, but they haven't quite gotten over the hump. Uh, and for you know, for a while, it was certainly the offense was carrying them, and the defense was uh, the the biggest issue. And it, it's not that that's not the case anymore, but the gap is tightening to where the defense has gotten a, a little bit better. This year's definitely been disappointing compared to what we thought coming in or, or you know, what I thought coming in and, and sort of what the uh, the way the, the numbers were trending Where last year they were 15th in in defensive team performance. Um, but people are figuring out the, o- the Oklahoma offense. I mean, Dave Aranda, the last two years in Baylor have figured out Oklahoma and other teams are, you know, other teams get access to that. Uh, film and and they're gonna figure it out. There are no secrets in this game and and there are no uh, unbeatable geniuses. And even though uh, a guy like Mauzon or Lincoln Riley could look like that, Chip Kelly uh, you know, had similar thoughts uh, about him during his time at Oregon. You know, defensive coaches are smart too. they'll figure it out. other talented players. Uh, exist on, on both sides of the ball and and you know sometimes teams just don't quite live up to uh, that level of expectation and and you know that might just be Oklahoma right now. They're still a very, very good team. They are still uh, still have a talent edge in, in any game uh, you know that they're going to play in the regular season. Uh, but it's just not quite clicking and the quarterback position has been a little bit of an issue. You're relying on a true freshman right now at quarterback, which he's as talented as they come and has a great, great future, Caleb Williams. Uh, but one, he's a true freshman and also he got his hand stepped on pretty uh, violently last week. That's that's a little bit of an issue. Uh, the offensive line hasn't quite been as good as expected. It, it's dropped off. They're 54th in our offensive line uh, performance ratings right now. So, uh, you know, they haven't been able to get Marvin Mims, who's maybe the best true freshman wide receiver in college football last year, haven't been able to get him going. Haven't been able to get uh, Eric Gray really involved. We we expected big things out of him as a transfer running back. So Oklahoma's been, you know, uh, for a nine and one team still in line to compete and maybe win their conference, a pretty disappointing team this year, but Iowa state has been much more disappointing and, This morning, Wednesday, you know, there's that video rolling around of uh, Matt Campbell talking about how the big winning the Big Twelve wasn't the goal all along, and and I haven't actually listened to the to the video itself, so I probably shouldn't talk too much about it. But it's been interesting to see how other people are reacting to it. Uh, I've seen some people say like, "Hey, yeah, this is a process oriented, um, you know, outlook, and it's a good thing." But I've seen 10 times as many people say, oh, he sounds like Butch Jones, champions of life, all that. I need to set aside the, the two minutes. Maybe I probably should have done that before I started talking, but, but uh, it'll be interesting to see which side I, I uh, you know, come out on. Um, but Iowa State talked plenty about them, wrote a lot about them in, in uh, some of my uh, preseason stuff for Athlon. Um, they were going to be a very, very interesting case study where they were coming off the best record they've ever had program history last year Uh, returned just about everyone have a recruiting profile similar to Kansas state among the very low end in uh, the power five in the fifties in the sixties, a lot of recruiting ratings, but the way we calculate things, roster strength, they are a very, very solid team because they're experienced because they've been productive And so it's going to be really interesting. Okay, is Iowa State an actual uh, Big 12 title contender? Are they an actual playoff contender? And I thought, yes, uh, but they have not been this year. I mean, losing four games is, you know, obviously very, very disappointing. I will say a lot of those games were actual coin flips. The first three losses, they had post-game win expectancy numbers above 50%, but right at. 50%. 50%. Um, so you know, that that's that's been interesting to see against Texas Tech last week was, you know, the first just outright man, that that was just that was just not great. And they still had a chance to win, but their postgame win expectancy was fifteen percent in that game. So, you know, it's 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 weird because it's two teams that I had much higher expectations for than the way things have played out. Our numbers still respect Iowa State have beaten Oklahoma in the past. A lot of these players have experience beating Oklahoma. Matt Campbell, head coach, of course, has experience beating Oklahoma. Um, We do have Oklahoma favored. They were favored in this game and in our projections all year. The margin has uh, gotten tighter at times, gotten bigger at times. Right now it's 5.7. And I I just don't know. I mean, yeah, Oklahoma probably should win. They are the more talented team. Iowa State has been... Uh, even more disappointing in in my opinion than Oklahoma, but it's fun. I, you know, don't have a great read on, uh, like a lot of these, uh, our final score is, is, uh, 31 25. Uh, this being a kind of a defensive game. I mean, 31 25 is not like, you know, a big 10, uh, three, three yards in the cloud of dust type game, but it's not, you know, I don't necessarily expect a game in the forties here. Uh, I think a, a game similar to last week's Oklahoma Baylor, uh, game seems a little more, uh, more likely, uh, both teams, maybe in the twenties seems, seems about right. Could go either way. It's a game Oklahoma should win, but they should have won last week as well. So, um, it, it's, uh, it's a weird one. And these two teams have, have, uh, uh, annoyed me a little bit this year. A lot of it, you know, could, could certainly be, uh, my fault for, for thinking, uh, you know, certain things about them or, or, you know, giving, uh, letting myself get carried away with, with some expectations, but, Kind of, kind of a weird game, and and I uh, do have some Oklahoma national championship futures. I don't think they're out of it quite yet. If they beat Iowa you State, you can throw those and, away. <laughs> if they beat Iowa State and Oklahoma State, maybe twice, uh, and you know get some help along the way. Uh, Cincinnati upset, uh, uh, some other, you know, maybe Alabama losing another time. It's possible, but I haven't thrown them away. But I have not, uh, you know. They, they are, they are, uh, I'm not expecting to have to use them. We'll, we'll
1: uh, say. yeah, I, I don't think you'll have use for them. Uh, probably
0: but, not. You're probably right, but I am sometimes, uh, hesitant to let go, I guess. So no, no, I mean, Hey,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It ain't over till it's over for sure. And I
1: don't know, man is going to be just an all time moment, uh, for us here, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Xavier, uh, my my big thing, because I, I started writing up this game for what I'm going to say about it on Betting Pros, and and uh, my thing here is just Caleb Williams got his, his hand stepped on, right? And, uh, you know, Nick mentioned this on the ITL CFF pod. How can we know what to expect from him? Because it clearly impacted him in uh, the second half. He did not look right. So if Caleb Williams isn't good to go, I know they have a very capable backup, right, in Spencer Rattler. Right but he's been garbage this year. So, you know, what kind of quarterback player are we going to get here? How can we possibly know what to expect is kind of how I feel about this game. Where do you sit on it?
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way in which Iowa state can win this ballgame. And the real reason why I think Iowa state has a chance is what do they have to lose? These, this is it for, for Purdy and Hall and Kolar. These guys are gone after this year for the, for, for all intents and purposes, right they're, they're, they're done. Right. And what better way than to end your career with a with a, with beating Oklahoma? I mean, yes, they've got one more game left, so this isn't the last game of the season type type of feel to it, but to play TCU next week. This is their last big hurrah, right? To 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 maybe exercise some demons on a team that stopped them from winning their first Big 12 title. This this is an opportunity to do that. This is an opportunity to get that out of the way to beat an Oklahoma team that's reeling a little bit, right? They have a quarterback in Caleb Williams who's not 100%. They're coming off of a pretty pedestrian performance in all in every way, shape, and form last week against Baylor. They just even with them being in it in that game, they never felt like they were in it at any point throughout that game and they just felt like they were kind of, you know, sleepwalking through it uh through through most of that ball game. Uh, so I, I don't see why Iowa State just wouldn't say caution, throw caution to the win. Let's let's get crazy. Let's throw a flea flicker on play one. Like let's make it to where a, a Oklahoma loses this ballgame just simply because we go out there and want it more than they do. Right. Is this a a situation where Oklahoma goes out there and, and goes, well maybe our season's over. You know, maybe our you know our aspirations of college football playoff are done. So, why why does it matter? You know, the Big Twelve championship is the Big Twelve championship. We win those all the time. You know, when does it become? If and that's in my opinion would be the mentality that would end up happening for this game in particular. Because against Oklahoma State next week, Oklahoma State's ranked higher than them. It's bedlam. It's a rivalry game. You know, you've got all the narratives. It's a prime time, time It's a prime time slot. Like. You, you, you know, you've got all the narratives that going into that football game to get you excited as a player. You don't have that for this Iowa State. Right. Iowa State's been rather underwhelming. They're six and four. They have zero chance unless all hell broke loose of making the Big 12 championship game. You know, they, they, it would it would take some absolutely some some number crunching for that to happen. You know, and, and who's to say, you know, they don't sleepwalk through this game you know Oklahoma hasn't had that game yet this year in my opinion yeah you know they the game against Tulane you could say was them sleepwalking you know and they sleepwalk uh, stepwalking to a victory but you know they haven't had that game for me this year where they just don't look like they want to compete kind of like last year against Kansas State where they were like okay Kansas State's winning this ball game we're going to stay in it but we're never going to take over this game and we don't actually necessarily care about winning this ball game at some point point. and that's the feel i get around oklahoma sometimes when they lose these games is by the fourth quarter they're like we're losing but does it all that matter at this point, to be honest with you? Uh, and so I, I think that that's the only reason, way Iowa State wins this game. Because I think Oklahoma, I think Lincoln Riley is going to have them ready to go in the sense that, like I said, with Baylor, they've got everything to play for. They know that if they lose another game, they're out of the Big 12 championship. They don't control. They control their own destiny. So they've got to win out. And like Nick said, there's still a chance for them to get to the college World playoff. Is it slim? Yeah. But who's to say that, that the Big Ten doesn't just end up beating up on each other over the next two weeks? And all of a sudden, Ohio State's got a second loss. Michigan's got a second loss. The, uh, Michigan State's the only one-loss team in the Big Ten. And would you take big? And would you take a one-loss Michigan State over a one-loss Oklahoma? No. So like, I think that you didn't look at it in that regard. Like, there's there's a week with this season in particular. You cannot count out anything genuinely you can't count out anything at this point so i i think that oklahoma still understands that their future is still to an extent in their hands you know they would like nick said they would play a ranked team they play two ranked teams in the next two weeks with oklahoma state and obviously with the big 12 championship game so there's an opportunity there to at least add some style points and make it at least a conversation at the very least and that's what lincoln riley's going to harp on this week is making it a conversation making it to where you know their season's not over kind of uh, technically speaking uh you know and and That's what's going to have to drive them in this game. My only concern is, has the Caleb Williams, like, dazzle effect worn off, right? We watched them come in against Texas and, you know, as Nick alluded to, have people started to kind of figure out Lincoln Riley and what he wants to do. And if he doesn't have an amazing quarterback back there pulling the strings, like with a Kyler Murray or a Baker Mayfield, how good is that team really going to be? And has Caleb Williams, had is there enough film on him now since that Texas game where he came into where defensive coordinators are starting to understand his deficiencies and Caleb Williams isn't growing anymore? And he's kind of just stagnating as, oh, there's this really athletic kid at Oklahoma who can sling it 50 yards down the field, but won't take the check down. Okay, cool. So we're going to double team down the field and we're going to give him the check down and we're going to blitz five. And when he doesn't get to the check down in time, it's probably going to be a sack or he's going to run out of the pocket and try to make something happen, which may end up in a turnover, which is exactly what Baylor did all all game last week. They literally blitzed five and told him, hey, we're going to give you five yards every play. Are you willing to take that for a 75 yard drive? And he wasn't. You know, he had to take the shot play every drive and, and it ultimately ended into more turnovers, you know, more losses than wins in those situations. And I'll be honest with you. Even when they did put in Spencer Rattler last week, he didn't look great. The offense just doesn't look connected whatsoever. And I don't know if that was because Baylor was just that good last week or if they're just that disjointed at offense at this point. uh, Because neither, you know, whether it was Spencer Rattler in the two drives that he was in or Caleb Williams in in the rest of the game, the offense just seemed disjointed. The offensive line just didn't seem like they were all locked in, you know, last week. Kennedy Brooks had a couple of decent runs. But for a guy who we expected to maybe be 100, you know, 100 yard a game kind of back to only have 51 yards total last week on 13 carries, where in most of that game you were in it so you didn't have to pass the ball that much, just shows how quickly they were going three and out, three and out, three and out when you look at the numbers. So I think Iowa State has an opportunity here. It'll show me a lot, though, from Lincoln Riley and his Oklahoma team to not compile to not allow this to be a landslide and not have two back-to-back losses. Where now their season is over, right? And now they're going into Bedlam just trying to play spoiler more than anything. Um, so, I like Oklahoma to win this game, um, regardless of who's at quarterback. To be perfectly honest with you, I, I know Spencer Rattler has been garbaggio this year. However, I genuinely think that it doesn't really matter in this game. Oklahoma is the more talented team, and, and with Iowa State. Typically, when when teams come in and upset you, you can look to like their last three games and go, okay, maybe they figured something out. Well, they lost to Texas Tech last week. I can't say that they figured much out, uh, as a po- you know, as it uh, as it goes with Iowa State. Uh, so I, I don't even think they understand their identity to an ex- to an extent uh, on the defensive end. You know, they have a game where they hold Texas to seven, and then they get forty one up to Texas Tech. I don't think that they understand themselves a little bit defensively. Maybe we didn't see that coming into the year because um, offensively, I think they've been fine. And I think that they will be fine on Saturday and they'll be able to put up points, but I don't think they're going to stop Oklahoma whatsoever. Uh, so I think this is going to be more of a shootout to be perfectly honest with you, which I think goes right into Oklahoma's hands. I don't think Oklahoma wants to play slugfest games anymore. I think they're, more, they're a team that wants to play a game that's like 42-24. I don't think that they're a team that wants to play a twenty to to seventeen or twenty to fourteen kind of game because that implies that they've got to be a little bit more physical up front and they've got to be a little bit more physical on both sides of the football. And I don't think that they are at that point yet where I can say that they want to do that consistently. All that being said, I'm going to have Oklahoma winning, but I'm going to have Iowa State covering.
1: All right, that should be a fun game. And and uh, you know, like you said, I think the only way that Oklahoma sleepwalks into any game is if they get up so much for Caleb. And then Spencer has to start this game, and they don't like him. Like, that's yeah. the only way I see them sleepwalking through a game because they're not really that type of a team. You know, obviously, the young quarterback last week figuring it out and being hurt um, is what led to their demise against Baylor. But, yeah, I- I'm with you. I think Oklahoma But it does too- feel...
2: It does feel like a longest yard type situation. We all remember the the, the longest yard type situation where Adam Sandler decides that he's going to be you know a butt. So the offensive line is like, "We're going to teach you a lesson," and they let him get cracked on like two on like back to back plays until he's like, "I'm just going to do it myself." And that's what it looks like when Spencer Rattler gets out there. It's like we don't like you. You're playing. <laughs> you're wearing our uniform, but we don't like you. So left tackle, just slip inside a little bit and let him get off the edge a little bit quicker than normal. So I, I don't know, but uh, that- yeah, I, I think Oklahoma wins.
1: Adam Sandler, not Burt Reynolds, Nick. that That's Sorry, where yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. that's
2: so, the age gap, know. guys. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, I mean, that's one, one of Burt the things. Reynolds is a little you know. before my time, too. But. <laughs> I mean, it's before my time, but I definitely watched the movie with Burt Reynolds first, yeah. 100%. So, but uh, all right, let's go over to the next Xavier pick Arkansas at Alabama. Bama, 21 point favorite here, 58 and a half is the uh, over under, Nick. How do you see this SEC matchup going?
0: so pretty uh, you know this this one's pretty definitive as far as our projections go um, we have Alabama as a big favorite I mean they're they're currently favored by 21 uh, in the Vegas Insider consensus it was 20 and a half when we posted our projection uh, this is an all three agree and to be on a favorite especially a favorite of you know nearly three to or, or three touchdowns now Um, that I know those numbers have been bad for us this year against the spread, but historically uh, that that's a, a fairly rare spot when all of our projections line up on a favorite, especially a big favorite. And it's been pretty good for us. So I, I actually for once am relatively confident and uh, Arkansas has Exceeded expectations. I mentioned earlier in the show that that's one of the two win totals that we have lost uh, so far this year. Our our preseason projections had Arkansas uh, coming up short of six wins, and, you know, they've gotten to seven. Now, I will say a couple of those wins have been really, you know, they've been a, a little bit fortunate. Some of the bad luck they had last year seems to have evened out a little bit at times. I mean, the, um, you know, last week LSU took them to overtime and their post-game win expectancy was 41%. Uh, they had to drive and score, you know, a game-winning uh, score to beat Mississippi State. Um, the, uh, you know, th- they did have a, a 97% post-game win expectancy against Texas A&M. Uh, but, you know, that that's a game that was an upset you know, would they would they beat Texas A and M next week? Maybe, um, but they happen to to you know have a good spot and 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 were able to beat them uh, in that game as well. So you know, they're they're a solid team. I, I like Arkansas. I like watching them play. Um, you know, uh, I, I won't gush about Sam Pittman quite like I did Dave Aranda, um, but I I respect him a lot as a head coach in a slightly different way. Uh, where he's got a little bit of the difficult to, um, you know, you can't quite put a number on the motivation that he brings or or whatever. You know, it it seems like players really enjoy playing for him, and and that's something that we can't quite capture in our numbers, and it's something that may not be totally sustainable. Uh, But right now, you know, Sam Pittman and his coaching staff, have been able to put Arkansas in a position to be highly competitive, to win some games that uh, they weren't expected to win before they started, and to win some games that once you look down, you know, at the final box scores and the advanced box scores, uh, those numbers wouldn't suggest that they would, you know, win more often than not. So uh, it, it's it's in some ways, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build an argument as to why Alabama won't win in a blowout. Um, Arkansas is pretty talented, you know, KJ Jefferson has, has been impressive to me. He has, uh, you know, not, not perfect by any stretch. Um, but I've, I've enjoyed watching him play. He's been productive, uh, and they've got, you know, a he lot definitely of definitely soared
1: past expectations. I mean,
0: way past them. Left sure, sure. Them. I mean, and, and there were some folks that, you know, I interact with in Uh, CFF leagues and things like that who've been very much on the KJ Jefferson bandwagon. uh, And, and, you know, they brought me on board, I'll say. Uh, I was not skeptical. That's not necessarily the right word, but I was hesitant. I I wasn't quite ready to, to jump out there just yet. Um, But, you know, I mean, in some ways he's uh, some of his numbers, I mean, recently the passing numbers haven't been, great they've been trending in the wrong direction from a yards per attempt standpoint um you know the, the completion percentage has been solid in the games against mississippi state and lsu the raw passing numbers haven't been great he hasn't gotten to 200 uh yards you know in each of the, each of the last couple of, of years but that's not necessarily a great gauge of passing production anyway i mean 8.8 yards per pass attempt have the season quite good 65 percent completion rate pretty good 17 to three touchdown interception ratio. That's good. Uh, you know, rushing production is solid. He's not fast, uh, but he's big and difficult to bring down and just, you know, can, can, uh, pick up some yards on the ground and 470 rushing yards for a a quarterback is, uh, absolutely valuable. Five rushing touchdowns, solid. Three of those came in one week, uh, in mid October. and, And we haven't, you know, actually, all, all five of his rushing touchdowns uh, came in just two games. But, you know, he, he is able to move the change. He is able to scramble when necessary. He's able to be a productive runner on design runs. Uh, they're able to run with a deep group of running backs. Dominic Johnson's kind of taken over the number one role a little bit unexpectedly. But Traylon Smith's had his moments. Uh, Raheem Sanders had his moments. AJ Green, both of those last two guys, true freshmen, uh, have, have made some big plays at times. And Traylon Burks, one of the best receivers in college football. Uh, so offensively, Arkansas has got enough to, you know, give Alabama a game, I think. Uh, defensively, they've played pretty pretty solidly. I mean, the, the numbers um, say they're a top 20 defense. Defensive team performance overall, they have ranked 18th. Against the pass, 13th. Rushing 15th. I have a lot of respect for Barry Odom as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I've talked plenty when we've, you know, gone over Arkansas games about how they remade that defensive line with the transfer portal. Uh, they suffered a, a very significant loss in the secondary when Jalen Catalan went down in mid-October with a season ending shoulder injury, but you know, Bumperpool, pool, Grant Morgan, Hayden Henry have played really well at linebacker. One of the better uh, linebacker groups in the sec. And, and they've been, they've been a solid team, Alabama, Looks beatable. I mean, they were beaten by Texas A&M. LSU was in that game uh, I- until the very end. Alabama only had a 60% postgame win expectancy. Florida gave Alabama a tough game. Alabama, again, according to collegefootballdata.com, uh, had a 9% postgame win expectancy in that game against Florida. So you would expect if they played that game 100 times, Florida would have won at 91 uh percent of the time, and and you know that's not what we're used to with Alabama last year. Alabama, one of the greatest teams of all time, uh, but we're posting 100 percent after 100 percent after 100 percent, uh, in, in games and just leaving absolutely no doubt. This year, they still have elite talent. I mean, Bryce Young's the betting favorite to win the Heisman. Brian Robinson Jr. has been uh probably even better than expected as a running back, and he's had the carry a really heavy workload because they've suffered significant injuries. The depth at that position, they're very, very thin. I mean, it's it's Brian Robinson, Trey Sanders, and right now a converted linebacker, Demory Kennedy, is is uh, third on the depth chart there. So it's, you know, he's had to do a lot and he's done really, really well. John Mechie, the third, has been solid. Jameson Williams, I think, has been even better than anyone would have expected as a transfer coming in from Ohio State. I mean he's played at times like an all-American uh, the offensive line's been not nearly what it had been in the past and, and they've dealt with a couple of injuries up front, but you know 34th and O line performance isn't bad, but we're used to Alabama having the best offensive line in college football or at least you know very, very close in, in a top five. Uh, and they rank fifth in our talent numbers on the offensive line. They rank first in our raw talent numbers just based on guys they've recruited, you know, like like expected. It's the most talented offensive line in the country. But Right now they've played like the 34th best offensive line in the country, and that's that's not what we're used to. So, you know, that's a vulnerability, especially if Arkansas can, can get a little pressure. Um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they've been very, very good. Seventh in defensive team performance, seventh against the pass, the number one rushing defense as far as our team performance numbers go. Will Anderson is the defensive player that we should be talking about in the Heisman conversation. Uh, He is just an absolute monster as a pass rusher. So fun to watch. Incredible future. um, Probably the best defensive player in college football. uh, Can change a game in one play. And it's really, really difficult to account for. And then just, you know, the fact that that they have the most talented defense uh, other than arguably Georgia. But I, I think, for, you know, in, in terms of a lot of just raw talent numbers, average recruiting rating, they're number one in, in everything that we track. So uh, Alabama's a solid team. They might not be the greatest of all time like they were last year. They're a different team. They're play, playing differently. And they don't have, you know, they're, they're not just blowing people out. So it's understandable, um, or everybody, I mean, they're certainly capable of it. Uh, they, they could beat Arkansas easily by, you know, 21, 28, 40, maybe certainly, certainly could happen. I can understand why some folks would think that's just too many points right now, uh, for this Alabama team and, and, you know, this Arkansas solid, good Arkansas team, uh, but the way our numbers, you know, see it, uh, it, it's pretty clear, especially of any any of the games that we've discussed to this point. Uh, this is the first one where it's like, you know, yes, we see a, a pretty uh, significant, um, we have an opinion. The numbers are, are, you know, they line up, see it as a decisive Alabama win to be able to cover uh, the 20 and a half or the 21 our official projection is 23, 41-18 being the final score. Uh, and our talent edge numbers are, are bigger. Our stats-only model numbers are bigger. Um, so, you know, again, all three degrees have been bad, very, very bad this year. So maybe it's maybe this should be a negative indicator. Uh, but right now, the way the numbers line up, see Alabama um, winning this and covering and, and and being, at least so far, uh, the the most confident I've been in, in one of these games this week. Xavier, do you, do you see this as a
1: blowout? Do you think Arkansas can keep pace? How do you see this one going? On?
2: Arkansas definitely can't keep pace if this is a shootout. Let's just call it what it is, right? Now, granted, they were able to show earlier this year that they can score a lot of points, right? Now, granted, that was against Ole Miss's defense, not against Alabama's. This is a little bit different of a tier here as we're, uh, as we're talking about defenses. But I think in this game, if, if I'm – Alabama what I've got to show what I'm looking for from Alabama this week is just consistency up front on the offensive line they they have been up and down what seemingly is like all year Bryce Young has either had games where he looks like a Heisman candidate the Heisman front runner or he looks like you know a a middle of the road quarterback or or, or, you know a freshman who's trying to figure out his his footing and it's because that offensive line has either looked really talented at times or looked piss poor up front And, and I think that you're also seeing that's becoming a problem because Alabama can't run the football. And and that is not something I've been able to say about Alabama my entire lifetime. And I'm 25 years old, which is not that old, but I'm still, I'm saying this is not, this is the first time I can genuinely say that Alabama has trouble, like genuine frustrations with running the football. You know, take a game like LSU where they ran for 18 yards. Like that's what Brian Robinson had the entire time. Now, if you count the amount of rushing yards they had, you know and subtract the sack numbers that they had in that game they had a grand total of 3 yards rushing against LSU that's not good enough from a team that we expect you know that is currently ranked number 2 and you expect to be able to dominate teams like an LSU team that's clearly reeling uh fired its coach already and he's a lame duck coach just trying to figure you know just you know ending off the season and, and you know you only able to run for a combined for a grand total of 2 yards you know uh, against LSU that's that's not That doesn't give me any, you know, that was at home. So that doesn't give me any, you know, any uh, confidence as an Alabama fan that coming into this week, Arkansas is going to attempt to make Bryce Young, once again, as one-dimensional as possible. They're going to say, hey, Bryce, you know, we know that you're talented and we know that you went to Modern Day. You were the best quarterback coming out of college or high school uh, in your class. Beat us with 45 throws, right? They're going to kind of employ the same kind of defense. Uh, I, I think that they did against uh, Texas A&M earlier this year, where they essentially said to themselves, "We're just going to stop your running game. You know, we're going to force your, you to throw the football." You know, obviously Bryce Young is, is is I think a tier above Zach Calzada, but that's kind of what, how Arkansas is going to play this game. They're going to try to control the clock. They're going to make sure that they you know keep it within a third and medium type situation for their own offense uh, and attempt and make sure that KJ Jefferson is consistently moving. In the history of Alabama football, something that they have had trouble with consistently is mobile quarterbacks. And I think that that's going to be something that you may be seeing this game. You know, you talked about it, Nick. You talked about how good that front four is for Alabama. You talked about Will Anderson being a transformative player uh, off the edge for them. Well, You know what they're going to do with him? They're going to let him run upfield all game long. They're going to let him get as much as he wants between the hashes and rush all the way upfield. I wouldn't be surprised if they run in his direction on purpose to stop him from, you know, from from being able to just pin his ears back, you know, pin his ears back, and come every single play, making sure that he has to stop, he has to wait, he has to read what's happening in front of him before he makes a decision. And, you know, we saw LSU do that to an extent. LSU, a lot of their stretch plays was two wheel side. They were doing that so that on third and eights, third and nines, Wills was like, mm, I can't just run up field because they might decide to run a screen on my same side as well, giving a, a, a talented athlete. A little bit more to think about is the best way of slowing them down just a hair. You know, you're not going to be able to slow them down completely. Will's probably going to still maybe have one and a half sacks, maybe three or four pressures, but to get them to not be able to just completely wreck a game with four or five sacks, you know what I'm saying, and and, and like seven TFLs combined, that's the way that you're able to do it. I see Arkansas doing it in that way. Um, Like I said, I think they're going to employ that same kind of defense that they did against A&M earlier this year where they said, all right, quarterback, go out there and throw it thirty-five plus times and beat us. A uh, and M wasn't able to do it. Now, you know, granted, you know, A and M obviously at that point, I don't think had found its footing yet, uh, and I say that after they come off of a loss to Mississippi State. Uh, but I think the other concern for Alabama that you have to see is the fact that their receiving core is not nearly as dynamic as it has been over the last couple of years, right? This is the this is finally the precipitous drop that we were all waiting for from their receiving core. I mean, you had Henry Ruggs, you had Jerry Judy, uh, you had Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. I mean, the names go on and on. And now they're struggling a bit. You know, really outside of Jamison Williams, nobody has been able to really, you know, disconnect as, as a top receiver on this team, you know, and even he has what is obvious, you know, his limitations, you know, he's doesn't have the speed of Waddle. He's not nearly as athletic as like a Jerry Judy is concerned. And, you know, he's winning a lot and he's winning a lot in his route tree, which is kudos to him. But I would not be surprised if Arkansas says we're going to double team him and we're going to make you throw to John Mechie and Slade Bolden all night long. And let's see if those guys can beat us because, you know that their receiving core has not been dynamic enough for me as a as a defensive coordinator to go. I should be terrified if they go four wide. I should be terrified if they go into a bunch set. No, I'm gonna look for one wherever one's going. There's gonna be a corner and a safety, and I'm gonna make you beat me with John Mechie and, and Slade Bolden and, and, and Brian Robinson out of the backfield and force Bryce Young and and you know he's still very young, making him you know, go off, you know, check from one read to the next. And hopefully, prayerfully, by that time, my defensive front has gotten there. Now, obviously, when they're not able to get home, Bryce Young's going to find somebody else. Or what we've seen a lot from him this year is him being able to use his legs to extend plays, like in the Tennessee game. But I would not be surprised if Arkansas keeps this close for three quarters. I genuinely wouldn't be. I think that this is a, a bad matchup for an Alabama team up front, where they haven't had the best success playing against physical front fours, I would not be surprised if once again we see a, a situation where Alabama runs for like seven yards and Bryce Young has to win this with his arm. Um, you know, and I would say if Arkansas had have won last week, I would say to myself, maybe Alabama was overlooking this game to get to the Iron Bowl. You know, yes, I don't care what people say. It is a rivalry regardless of what the record has been. It is a rivalry and they understand that. And it's in Jordan Hare, which obviously some crazy things happen then. Maybe they overlook an Arkansas team. However, I think they'll be a little bit more locked in. Uh so I like Alabama to win the game. I just I just wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas makes this really close and makes Saban sweat, which Saban makes his own self-sweat as much as he paces the sideline. But I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas is able to keep this close and possibly even cover this game.
1: All right. Uh, Real quick. I do. I mean, I have to go in 15 minutes. Do you guys think we're going to be able to get these last two games done? Okay. All right. All right. Next game up here, a Pac-12 matchup, Oregon at Utah. Utah is a three-point favorite over under is 59. This is one of the ones that Xavier mentioned earlier, Nick. How do you see this Pac-12 matchup going?
0: Yeah, so I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit that going through, you know, all season and, and you know, week by week, what are the projected win percentages? Uh, it, it was not a surprise to me that Utah would be favored in this game more often than not. And sometimes it would flip a little bit uh, back and forth, depending on, you know, because it's been very close the, the whole time. Uh, but we have Utah favored this week. And, and it did not surprise me. Um, you know, a lot of I think there were some early numbers posted by some sports books that had Utah as a two and a half point favorite last week and, and things like that. It, it it probably, you know, didn't take a whole lot of people by surprise. Uh, and and part of that is Utah is traditionally just a, a tough program. I mean, this game is at home. They do uh, have a pretty significant home field advantage. Uh, Utah has taken some Major steps forward offensively. They seem to have figured out the quarterback uh, situation. Cam Rising uh, has taken control of that job and played pretty well overall. Uh, they're not a dynamic. Passing team. They don't have, you know, a, a huge playmaking receiver. Though uh, they've gotten, you know, production at times. Britton Covey's had a, a solid career. Can make plays. Uh, Devon Vele has, has uh, uh, been a little bit of a, a pleasant surprise. Has had some good moments. They've always had productive tight ends, and they've got a couple of guys uh, there as well. Brent Keithy being the, you know, the bigger name and, and bigger playmaker. Uh, but they've figured out the running back position. Davion Thomas has been. Uh, great in in recent weeks. Unfortunately, he was banged up, unable to play last week, but they've got depth in the position. They recruited TJ Pledger, who I like a lot, uh, who's been, Super productive, uh, you know, multiple hundred yard games. Uh, Micah Bernard's uh, uh, an up and comer as a sophomore who was on the roster last year. Uh, And then, you know, Chris Curry was was a starter at times at LSU. Hasn't quite fit in to the role, you know, hasn't quite fit in as, as a go to guy there at the offense. But they've got four guys that they could rely on. If need be, it just so happens Thomas has been um, the go-to guy for you know the last five or six weeks, and I would assume he'll be back. It sounded like he he probably could have played. Uh, It was really kind of vague as to what his injury was, but you know he's been very good. The offensive line traditionally very good. They've got a couple of guys banged up: center Nick Ford, guard Paul Miley are are both, uh, I believe, questionable to play this week. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll get any sort of official word, uh, but we're banged up in in the previous game. So that's that's something to watch, especially since they have been able to lean on that offensive line and Thomas to, to post really solid rushing numbers. They're sixth in rushing team performance. Uh, but this is a Utah team that traditionally is won with defense. Their defense is Good, not great. Ranks twenty-fourth in defensive team performance, twenty-sixth against the pass, but forty-fourth against the run. And you know, Devin Lloyd, All-American linebacker, Senior Bowl invite. You know, I'm not sure exactly what his his uh, draft status will end up being, but one of the best linebackers in college football for sure. I think has a really, really bright future. uh, Is the biggest name on that defense, but it's it's mostly solid all around. But if there is a little bit of vulnerability. It's against the run, and Oregon has been very, very good running the football. they rank fourth in our rushing team performance numbers. Uh, the offense as a whole ranks tenth. Passing team performance is fifty-fourth, and they're uh, you know pretty similar to Utah offensively, where quarterback, okay, solid, can make some plays. Anthony Brown, you know, as a runner, has has certainly uh been productive but I think at times he's surprised a little bit as a passer as well they've got a ton of talent at receiver but kind of like Utah they haven't necessarily had somebody step up as a go-to number one guy at times it's looked like Devin Williams could be that guy he looks like the most talented but just hasn't been you know super consistent uh you know Micah Pittman uh, Jalen Redd, Johnny Johnson, all those guys have uh, been starters and, and have had good games here or there, but they just haven't had that go-to dominant receiver. They've relied a lot on Travis Dye. They've relied recently on on uh, Byron Cardwell, who looks like uh, a future star, and Dye, fortunately, has been able to, to really contribute as a receiver. Uh, the offensive line has been banged up at times. Alex Forsyth has missed time. Uh, Ryan Walk has missed time. Uh, But still, they're performing at a a really, really high level. Uh, They rank number two in our offensive line team performance. Defensively, similar to Utah. You know, good numbers, not great numbers. Some elite players, Kayvon Thibodeau, of course, being the big one. Uh, But they've got, you know, some talented guys at linebacker. I mean, Noah Sule, Masefuna. Uh, in the secondary, Mikhail Wright, uh, Verone McKinley, but they've also been banged up. I mean, the linebacker core is thin. Uh, they've had four guys who've been out pretty much since September. Uh, in the secondary, they've had guys. I mean, Bennett Williams out for the season. Uh, the, the week after he, he won a national player of the week award, Steve Stevens is, has been banged up and missed time. So the safety position is you know a little more thin than you would expect. Um and Oregon is is a very very good team. I mean they are a top ten team in our power ratings. They are our highest rated Pac twelve team, but the gap is not huge between they and Utah. Utah is fifteenth in our power ratings, and they're not great elite at any one particular thing. I mean those offensive line numbers are are really really solid, but you know you got to have playmakers that can step up and make big plays against a. Solid, talented, well-coached defense, and Utah is going to pose a threat. And Oregon has certainly been, you know, far from perfect. They somehow found a way to lose to Stanford. They had a positive, you know, 63% post-game win expectancy, so that was a little fluky. Uh, game did go to overtime, and those numbers have been really, really good—80 or better in every game since. Uh, they, of course, have the the win over Ohio State, one of the most impressive performances we've seen in a single game this year but I understand why Utah can win this game. I understand why they are favored uh, to win this game. It's not going to be a you know sneak up on anybody kind of upset um, as a result, but this is still a game that Oregon can win. Uh, we have, like I said, Utah favored, but it's by less than a point. So we're actually on Oregon to cover and, you know, they they're playing for everything. Their entire season is on the line every week. And if they win out right now, it looks like they're going to be in the playoffs. So I, I you know motivation absolutely not a factor. Uh, they're probably going to play Utah again in two weeks. That'll be a little bit of a weird situation. Uh, but you know this will this will be a fun game, great game, one of the top games of the week. But I understand why Utah is favored. Um, we do think you know one point final. Uh, what what is it, 29-28 is our predicted final score with Utah winning. That absolutely could could turn out that way. It could be 27-24 on either side. Uh, but I think it'll be a great game, a close game, and you know certainly one of the, the biggest uh, and most important of the week.
1: Javier, you said you are confused by this. Uh, Nick says he understands why uh, Utah is favored. You really didn't. How do you see it playing out?
2: Yeah, and as to what Nick alluded to, I, I just don't see how Utah is able to stop Oregon's running game. And if Oregon is able to get that running game going, it opens everything else up. I mean, this is a team in Utah that literally lost to San Diego State earlier on in the year with their quarterback throwing for 44 yards. I, I, I just don't see how you're able to then – Turn around and go. Well, Utah's got a shot in this game because they're exactly like Oregon, just a little bit less talented. I just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not ready to 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 bang that drum yet. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Utah won the rematch in the big in the Pac-12 championship game. It, you know, depending on the showing that they have on Saturday. But like I said earlier in the podcast, I think Oregon has found their second back again, right? After CJ Verdale went down, they've kind of been looking for that second guy. They've been running Travis Dye into the literal ground. Uh, and so I, I think that they found their second guy in Carwell. And I think that they're going to have an opportunity here to, he's going to have a game here. I think personally, where he's able to explode uh, as Oregon figures itself out and re, you know, and re-identifies itself as the same identity it had coming into the year. We're just going to run the football really, really well. Anthony Brown's going to throw like two touchdowns, 150 yards, and we're going to get out of there with a W. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen on Saturday. Uh, I think they're going to run the football very well. I wouldn't be surprised if they have another uh, 250-plus, 300-yard rushing game. That's just how good they've been able to run the football against really anybody this year that they've tried to outside of Stanford where that game was just wacky in its own right. Uh, And so I think they go in and go ahead and beat Utah. And Like Mick said, all the motivation is there. They're ranked four they're right they 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 understand they're one slip up away from just being completely out of it and i think they understand that they understand that they've gotten a lifeline to an extent because after the stanford game they were they 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 were pretty far back there uh with with an opportunity there to kind of you know with not that many opportunities against right teams coming up so I think this is a, a huge game for them as they are obviously are playing a top 25 team, but I've got Oregon. I've got Oregon comfortably. I think that running game is going to really, really hit its stride this week. And I would, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if it's another 300 yard game uh, with Anthony Brown pitching in with maybe 65 to 75 of his own yards as well. Just has, has athletic athletic as he has been this year. Uh, so yeah, give me Oregon and give me Oregon big on this one.
1: Last game up here, Michigan state at Ohio state. Uh, Ohio State a 19 point favorite Knicks 67 and a half is the over but this is four versus seven usually we don't see a spread this gigantic how do you see this uh, Big Ten matchup going down
0: it's pretty similar a lot of things I would say are, are similar to what I said uh in the Alabama game similar to what I said in the Ohio State against Purdue game last week I mean this was very very close to being in all three agree on the side of Ohio State the talent edge is over 20 uh the stats model is like 24 or something and and you know Michigan State is to be applauded they have uh, you know I've sung their praises plenty before I've been so impressed with Mel Tucker I think he probably has the inside track as national coach of the year and and it would be uh you know deservedly so I absolutely. Uh, understand why he is a name atop a lot of those big time open coaching uh, position lists. I mean, he's he's done a great great job. He's real rebuilt the roster quickly. Went all in with the transfer portal, and it's paid off. And and you know they haven't. Uh, I, I mentioned before the quarterback position, they did the thing like I was talking about with, with Baylor earlier where they were able to, to take a guy who was already there, elevate his level of play and, you know, took, took things to another level, but they've been able to uh, just, you know, in short, one of the most impressive turnarounds in recent memory. um But uh, Michigan state is a very, very good team, but, a lot of the and and I don't agree with what the the playoff committee spokesman mentioned about oh well, statistically and all this stuff, you know, I think Michigan State has earned a a a very, very high ranking. If they were somehow able to to beat Ohio State, if they were somehow able to get through and and, you know, finish with just one loss and win the big ten championship, I think they would deserve uh, a playoff berth. I just don't think. That right now, we can expect them to get to that point. Um, you know, twenty point underdog seems like a lot. But right now, our projection is Ohio State to win uh, by eighteen and a half. And that that seems, you know like a lot of points, and it it is, you know too many points. We do think our, our projections uh, would indicate that Michigan State can at least cover. But this is a game where Ohio State has a huge talent advantage. I mean, Michigan State is in the 40s in roster strength. uh, And in the team performance numbers, they've been very, very, you know, solid. But they are not elite by any stretch. I mean, they're 24th in overall team performance, 30th in offensive team performance, 45th in defensive team performance. Their past defensive numbers, just raw numbers, are are horrible. They're a little bit better in things like, uh, you know, yards allowed per pass attempt and and things like that. But people put up a lot of number, uh, a lot of uh, yards and and through the air and, and they are certainly susceptible. And when you're going up against an Ohio state offense, that is among the very best in the country. I mean, they're first in yards per play, first in points per drive, third in yards per pass attempt, third in success rate, third in EPA per play. You know, Trevon Henderson, Superstar, true freshman, C.J. Stroud, Heisman Trophy, contender, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Maybe the best receiver trio, uh, you know, those Alabama teams a couple years ago, probably the only ones in the conversation. I mean, they're, they're just awesome <laughs> offensively. Top five O-line performance rating. Uh, the defense isn't elite, but it's statistically better than Michigan State's. 16th in defensive team performance, 38th against the pass, 10th against the run. So, uh, you know, this Ohio State team, they slipped up against Oregon. They weren't quite ready. Uh, you know, we're relying on a lot of young guys and, and played like it a little bit early on in the year when Minnesota gave them a tough first half. Oregon beat them, Tulsa the next week. But since then, and I know the, the you know, strength of schedule, not great but they have played at a, an incredible level on offense, and I don't see Michigan State necessarily being able to stop that. So our projection is uh, not quite as big. I mean, we do still have Michigan State covering, but a final score of Ohio State 39, Michigan State 21. You know, that, that's, uh, that's bigger than you would expect for a top-10 matchup, absolutely. And could Michigan State keep it within – a touchdown? Sure. They have overachieved all year. And I've been so impressed with the way that they've done it, that it wouldn't surprise me if they did. But it also wouldn't surprise me if Ohio State wins by 35. Uh, I just think that this Ohio State offense is rolling. I think Michigan State is not quite as good as its record and its playoff ranking would indicate. And though, again, I'm, I'm if they are able to win this game, if they are able uh, to get through, I, I think they would be deserving. And I disagree in a lot of ways with the you know the way the playoff committee was talking about Michigan State, especially in relation to Michigan. Uh, even though, yeah, statistically, Michigan, I, I understand what they're saying, but the games have to matter. That's a conversation for another day. Uh, but I think in this case, Ohio State is going to do you know kind of put that to rest because I think Ohio State is going to win this game. Easily.
1: All right, Xavier, how do you see this one going? Do you think this is an Ohio State blowout as well?
2: I think Michigan State wins this ball game. What? Yeah, I genuinely do. I'm going to tell you why. For, for everything that Nick has said about how good this Ohio State offense has been, they've been great against suckful teams. Like the last good defense that they played was Penn State. They put up 33 points. They barely won that ball game against a Penn State team that none of us would say at this point in the year should be anywhere close to competing with Ohio State in a ball game, right? They then play a Nebraska team, 26 points. They give up 17. Yes, that, against a Nebraska team that we all think Scott Frost might get fired at the end of the year. No, this they Ohio, already said
1: they're not firing
2: him. Well, but, should, but get, anyway. should get fired. Excuse okay. Me. I mean, that's our um, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I think this Ohio State team has really great numbers against teams that aren't that good. Be perfectly honest with you, their biggest performances this year have been against Purdue, who, yes, I think the narrative because of the teams that they have beaten this year was a little over, was massively overhyped. Indiana, Rutgers, and Akron. Wouldn't say any of those guys were world beaters. I'm just saying this. This wouldn't be the first time that they were able to accumulate a massive numbers against terrible teams. But when you actually see what they've done against competent teams, not even good teams, competent teams. We're talking about 33 versus Penn State, 26 versus Nebraska, 28 versus Oregon. You know what I'm saying? Those are the competent programs in which they played this year. And I think Michigan State has an opportunity here to really jump on the fact that, one, one. I don't trust this Ohio State defense whatsoever. Even against Purdue, uh, o- O'Donnell went, was able to throw four touchdowns, no INTs, had over a 50% completion percentage, and was able to sling the ball around the yard at will when he actually had time in the pocket. That's first and foremost. Uh, They're they're against the run. They haven't been great. We've seen what happened against Oregon. We saw what happened against Minnesota. I understand that they were growing pains at that time. But growing pains and three hundred yards of rushing are two completely different things. That's just it's not it's not a buck fifty. That's it's not one hundred and seventy-five. That's three hundred yards against Minnesota and Oregon. So I, I think that their defense is a little overhyped. Once again, being able to play some suckful, some suckful offenses has allowed them to get better this year and get a little bit more hype than I think they, they, they that's warranted. And I think CJ Stroud, when he's asked to actually have to go back and put together drives, and I think against certain teams, he's looked really pedestrian. Nebraska, he threw two picks. Who throws two picks against Nebraska as the number five team in the country? I wouldn't think that that was something to build on, to, to be proud of. And I think this is a team in Michigan State who I think people have just completely written off. I think people have written off Michigan State already. They, they said, oh, they lost to Purdue. You know, they didn't deserve to be that high in to begin with. And this is a game being a 12 o'clock kick. It's not the whole prime time whoop-de-whoop matchup that people are wanting to make it at out to be i think this is a game that ohio state starts flat michigan state doesn't and we're we're talking about in the at halftime when it's 14 13 or 14 10 michigan state michigan state's got a chance to win that ball game because i think michigan state on the flip side has got has already gotten their punch in the mouth and and has learned from its mistakes and i think uh, this is the most balanced offense that they would have played since oregon like just call it what it is. I think this is an opportunity for, for Michigan State and Mel Tucker to once again rewrite the narrative that they've been given all year, which is a team that doesn't deserve to be as high as they are. And, and I think that this Ohio State team, I think, is maybe a little bit is gonna come in a little overconfident, especially with it being at home. And who's to say Ohio State doesn't overlook Michigan State to get to Michigan? Which wouldn't surprise me whatsoever from a team that understands that they have you know, they have aspirations of getting to the playoff and Michigan and, and maybe they're reading the press clippings of Michigan State not being a good enough ball club. Michigan State not deserving to be seven. Michigan State not deserving to be over Michigan, even though they beat Michigan. You've heard it all. Nick alluded to it twice in his, in, in, while he was talking. So, like I said, I think Michigan State goes in there. I think Michigan State wins this ball game. to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State, and it's because I do not trust CJ Stroud against a competent defense. I think Mel Tucker is going to confuse him all game long. I think this he's going to give him several looks that he hasn't seen this year whatsoever and ultimately it ends up turning into a situation where now Michigan or Ohio State has to run the football which they do they're they're good at but they're not great at. They're solid at but they're not wonderful at.
0: Whoa! All right. I don't think um, we've ever disagreed more. Yeah, I mean <laughs> I I I just I, I like don't this. see that happening. I don't, I don't see it happening
1: uh, but uh, look we're gonna find out real quick so Nick, right. why don't you tell why us about play the games? why don't you tell us about the all three agree and the wrong team favorites
0: all right real quick uh just one wrong team favored this week uh Buffalo plus one and a half not a ton of confidence in that one um, but uh, that's gonna kick off Wednesday night so it might be settled by time you hear this uh, but that's also an all three agree uh, then real quick uh, and I don't You know, I don't have a ton of confidence in a lot of these one way or the other, Uh, but yeah, we've got a lot of them. We'll run through them real quick. Southern Miss plus 16 and a half. Arizona plus 14. Oklahoma minus four and a half. Clemson minus three and a half against Wake Forest. That's uh, kind of an interesting one. FAU plus 10 and a half. Penn State minus 17. Texas plus two and a half. Yeah. Akron plus 13 and a half. Iowa minus 12. Arkansas State plus 17. Washington minus 6.5, again on Washington. Alabama minus 20.5, UTSA minus 3, Charlotte plus 15, Indiana plus 7, East Carolina minus 4, Georgia Southern plus 20, NC State minus 11, Kansas plus 22, Temple plus 22, again on Temple, FIU plus 10.5, again on FIU, Vanderbilt plus 37, and Arizona State minus 3.
1: So All right. Well, that is going to wrap us up for this week. Remember, you can find us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Good luck, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB winning edge, Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.